0: Welcome back to Create Out Loud. I'm your host, Jen Loudon. I'm a writing mentor, a writing coach, a creativity thought leader, a national best-selling author, long, long time creative entrepreneur. And I get to host this podcast where we talk about how do you create out loud? How do you keep having faith? How do you keep having confidence to do the work? How do you make money if you want to and need to? All of those questions. And before we jump into our fabulous episode this week, I wanted to invite you to follow me on Instagram. I'm starting from scratch over there after Instagram took my account away for saying the word vagina during an Instagram live. Yeah, I know. So for a long time, I fought to get my account back. And then for a long time, I was like, I hate you. I'm not going to ever be back on your platform. But let's face it, it's one of the ways that we find people to enjoy our work, like the podcast you're listening to right now. It's one of the ways you can help me spread the word of the podcast. And I really love creating content over there to keep your spirits up and teach and inform you about all kinds of things about creating out loud. So it's Loudon, and you'll see my little face there. Our interview this week is with Ashley Embroger, and she is the author of The Middle Finger Project, which is both a very popular blog newsletter and a book by that name. She is the author of a newsletter called Meat and Hair. Mm-hmm. Not going to forget that one, are you? About creative writing that I adore. She is a longtime creative entrepreneur who has made multiple millions from selling her writing directly to people, not by self-publishing a book, but by self-publishing guides. She has three different businesses. She's got the coolest mission for all of them. Let's dive in. I have a question I want to start with. How many hours a day do you dedicate to your own happiness?
1: Oh, what a great question. You know, it is your
0: question. (laughs) You wrote a post about it. (laughs)
1: Yes. Yes. I would say I've learned to work in a new block schedule. So Tuesdays and Thursdays are now dedicated to my happiness entirely. It's so weird. I don't do any work on those
0: days. Wow. How did you bring that about from a business standpoint?
1: I started realizing that with a lot of the writing work I do, I suck at task switching. Mm. So doing things for just a couple hours here and then an hour and then an hour, it wasn't working. So I started doing that in business. Like Monday was my middle finger project day and Tuesday's mm-hmm. my meat and hair day or whatever project I'm doing. And I started breaking it up that way and it was awesome. So then I was like, oh, well, what if instead of having all these extra work days, I like built in happiness days. Ta-da!
0: And that's how that happened. How have you figured out how to get the creative work done? Because you have four different businesses. Or did I miss Miss a couple?
1: I'm working on a fourth, but it's kind of in the background. So let's say three that I'm focusing on actively.
0: You have plenty to do.
1: You're writing a daily creative writing newsletter. So this is weird because I think we can all relate as creatives. And me, especially when I was a younger creative, (laughs) I was all about, though, the creativity, the vision. I needed to feel inspired. I loved just kind of like flying by the seat of my pants. And as I got older and more experienced, I realized that I had much more freedom with a schedule and a routine. Much as I hate to admit it, it has been the thing that has changed my life for the better. So I am pretty diligent about my routines on the days that I am working. The morning starts with writing and it's my writing. I don't talk to anyone. I won't talk to anyone. I can't Mm -hmm. talk to anyone.
0: Oh we've heard this from a few other people including just a couple of weeks ago from Susan Shapiro first thing for your creative work now I know there is nothing unique or new about that idea but I have resistance to it like I like coming in here first thing and doing some things on my to-do list it makes me feel really effective and I get a dopamine hit then I usually exercise and shower and then come and do you know more work. I'm not working on a book right now. Ashley's not working on a book right now so she comes in and she does her deep thinking and the kind of creativity and writing that really fuels her business. So the deeper message that I'm taking is growth of your creative work and or business, if it's related to that, might need your best thinking and time first thing, not taking care of clients or students or items on your to-do list
1: and the projects that I have to do where I have to really just focus with the words. And then I leave the afternoon for other things like this, like interviews or engaging with people if I have to like talk to people on social media, (laughs) stuff like that. (laughs) So it's worked out really, really well. And just, I have to stick to that schedule because sometimes I see myself going over. I have to make choices. Am I going to allow myself to keep working until 10 o'clock at night? Or am I going to have to say no to that thing?
0: It's it's kind of a relationship between the boundaries that you've set for your routine or your schedule. And when they start to blur, you're going past them. You go, "Ah, oh, something's got to shoot. I've got to cancel something. I've got to say no to something. It's a really
1: great safeguard for yourself in a way, because I never used to have those. Mm-hmm. I was always a yes person, especially with friends If friends needed writing help mm-hmm. or whatever. It's yes, 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 yes. Mm-hmm. And then, and then you're fucked. Yeah. <laughs> So it becomes no, 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 no. Well, it's, it's a lot easier when you see your schedule on a screen
0: and you're, you point to the hours that are already committed and you're like, oh. you know, I actually don't have it. So for you, it's a visual. It's this three hours every morning is my writing. And when you yeah. say my writing, what does that look like these days?
1: I started that pattern when I was writing my book and I mm-hmm. had to do it and I just fell in love with it. So now I'm not writing a book at the moment, but when I write in the morning, it's either one of my newsletters or if it's Tuesday or Thursday, I might be, you know, writing some travel writing pieces, mm-hmm. maybe like a book for something else, like I'm working
0: on a secret novel, but mm-hmm. you know,
1: the stuff that really isn't meant to be income generating right
0: now. Part of your work with the Middle Finger Project, which is what you became well known for, is about imposter syndrome and is about saying to women, you don't need to take shit. You can believe in your ideas. You can do the crazy. Thing. And this continues to be a big part of your your work in the world. Is there one thing that you teach? Or preach (laughs) that you see resonates with women to get them just to begin to wake up? I think the best answer to that question is money. It's related to money because
1: most of us start off with a big idea, a dream, a concept we want to bring into reality, but we have all that imposter syndrome. Who's going to listen to me? I don't have any experience. I don't know what I'm doing. And so, what I encourage people to do is actually get your first paying client. Mm. And it is just amazing what happens to people when they see the validation that other people give them in the sense of like, hey, yes, I'm willing to pay you X amount of dollars for that thing. All of a sudden, it's like if someone else believes that they're worth the money, they feel more comfortable believing that they are. And that's sucky because it's not one of those internal motivating things. But I found it actually really effective over the years. People feel Mm -hmm. much more validated when someone's giving them money to do something. So it's one of the first things I advise, go get money for this thing and then let's build it.
0: I want to be really clear. I know everyone listening does not want to sell their work or make money from it. And I don't want you to feel excluded. I think there's still lots of great ideas in this episode to listen to. It's not all about making money. However, I do want to challenge you to reach out to me and tell me what has been your experience? What are your feelings about making money from your creativity. Is Ash's idea of getting one paying client or one customer or selling something, have you done it? Has it changed you? Are you afraid to do it? What are your thoughts on it? I'd love to hear. And I wonder if there's experiences or pushback or I did that and it didn't change anything. You can always hit me up on an email at jen, J-E-N, at jenniferloudon.com or you can comment in a review on Apple Podcasts. You and I have been around in the online business world for a year or two, (laughs) for a while, (laughs) for a while. And we've had our fair share of ups and downs. What do you owe your longevity as a creator and writer and creative entrepreneur to? Because a lot of creative entrepreneurs, some of whom are friends of ours, flame out.
1: For me, and this is a very personal response, but it is about writing for me. Mm. I love writing. It's, it's so my clear. creative outlet. Yeah. It's what I love to do. So for me, reinvention has never been about... How many passive income streams can I cook up over here? It's always about how can I take something that I consider my art and express that in a new, interesting way that allows me to benefit from it and be compensated from it.
0: Ooh, I like that. How can I take my art, express it, which is create out loud my friends, and benefit from it? And maybe it's not always money. It can be connections and friends and swaps and trades and who knows what. I love that definition. That's awesome.
1: I've taken that writing, which I just, I love to do. And I apply it to different things. If I know something about this topic, I might start writing about it. And then I might write a book about it. And then I might sell a book. And so it's been a very organic process, but I try to just trust whatever I'm interested in at the time. And I'll go forward with that. But writing is always the core of everything that I do. If there was no writing, if let's say I had to just like just do TikTok videos forever, I would never do any of these businesses. It doesn't give me that personal satisfaction.
0: So to go back to that person who needs to get that first paying client, How do they find that intrinsic motivation to take that scary leap and get that paying client? You
1: know, most of the time when people come to me, they're motivated already. They know something's not working. They want something else. They have an idea for something. But in the real world, most people kind of snub their nose at that idea. They think they're making a poor decision. The Middle Finger Project community started as just a supportive place where you could go and, and not be crazy. Let's nurture your idea and let's talk about it. So I would say people actually have a lot of motivation, but what they don't have is a lot of confidence. And it's just the number one killer of so many dreams every single day. So many people could be really having that personal satisfaction, could be making millions of dollars if they trust themselves enough to do it. But I think it's hard when you don't have a lot of role models and you don't see a lot of people doing that. So who takes a chance on something they've never seen before? I think really getting acclimated and seeing examples of people doing great stuff is one of the best sources that anyone can have to actually like go and, and do the thing and get the confidence that
0: they need representation in whatever form. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Representation. And I think that's one of the reasons your story that you tell on the website and in your work and in the book is so useful to people because you're somebody who came from poverty and you came from a single mom and, uh, you know, losing your mom young and making mistakes, but showing your readers that you developed your confidence you developed your skills and you kept trying. I mean, so many of us have gone through so many challenges And most of us don't
1: feel comfortable talking about them because we don't know how to talk about them Mm -hmm. without it making us look like unprofessional, completely like torn apart schmucks. Mm -hmm. So I think one of the things that my work has led to over the years is is helping people tell their story in a way that they're proud of Mm -hmm. and not in a way that feels shameful.
0: What are a couple of your ideas about how to do that, to tell Mm -hmm. that story in an
1: empowering way? I love encouraging people to pretend that they're in a courtroom and they've got to argue against themselves. Like they're the judge and they need to argue why, why they can't do the thing, why they're not qualified to do the thing. So what that requires you to do is show up with evidence. I need you to show up with X, Y, Z, A, B, C, all of these pieces of tangible evidence to defend yourself about like, well, why actually am I a good fit for this? Why can't I do these things? Why would I be great at that? And sometimes seeing those pieces of evidence on paper, whether it's feedback you've gotten from friends Or if it's actual accomplishments that you have under your belt that you're not even giving yourself credit Mm -hmm, for, mm -hmm. whatever it is, making a giant list of those things. When you see it on paper, it's really, really hard to argue against. You're going to have a really hard time as a judge against yourself saying like, yeah, you're not qualified because the paper says different.
0: Laying out the facts.
1: Yeah. I think that's one of the first steps for people. Even if they're just writing a simple bio, Mm -hmm. people struggle with that too Mm because they're just like... I don't want to brag. I don't want to seem salesy. I don't want to seem full of myself. And so a lot of that goes back to figuring out what are those pieces of evidence that we have working for you? And now how can we weave that into a story that actually supports your argument in a way that is powerful and authoritative and not braggy, but strong. And a lot of that just goes back to figuring out, well, what are you actually arguing for? And using that to lead your bio, your message of what is the actual thing you're making an argument for? Because that can never be braggy. That's like a call to arms about whatever it is. And it feels so much better for people when they frame it that way.
0: Love that exercise. Really good for writing your bio or your about page or your artist statement. And then this last sentence is such a takeaway for me. What are you arguing for? That's really different, isn't it? When you're making a case for your work, what are you arguing for? Are you arguing that people need more beauty in their life? Are they? Are you arguing that your sweaters are going to make them feel cozy and and fabulous that you knit, the sweaters that you knit? Are you arguing that your copywriting business is going to transform their business? What are you arguing about? And what's the proof that your argument has merit? Isn't that I don't know. I love that way of approaching it because it does seem to take the ego out of it or the I'm special or look at me thing that can make us feel so uncomfortable about sharing our story. What is the thing you're arguing for?
1: Uh, With which business, my friend?
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's a great point though, because we can have more than one thing we're arguing for.
1: Yes, I love doing the different businesses because I think it gives you a clear runway to speak clearly about what your message is and what your goal is for each piece of it. I would say my goal with the Middle Finger Project, honestly, at the end of the day, is about outfunding everybody else on the planet. That's my thing. I don't care if you make a million dollars or not let's just outfund everybody else. Let's have a great time building something, creating something, making something, selling something, traveling around the world. Like, yeah, I get an Airbnb and do it from there for a month. Let's go. That's the middle finger project. Forget everybody else who tries to tell you that you need to stay in your job and like stick to security. No such
0: thing. Oh, out fun. Yeah. That's my takeaway. That's my takeaway. Out fun. That's it. What about you? How does that strike you? Impossible? Oh, but so juicy, isn't it? I want that. I want that. Out fun, everybody. Mm-hmm. So if you were starting out today to create a creative business and you wanted to outfund everybody, what would you do first for someone who's listening who's like, maybe I do want to take my creativity and make money from it or make more money from it?
1: I'm the newsletter queen. I believe in newsletters. Like I believe in pizza, which is my Mm -hmm. religion to be Mm -hmm. clear. Newsletters. I think right now they're having a moment, but they're actually
0: a really time tested. It's true. I've done one for 21 years
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yes. I'm like, let's ride the wave. Let's take advantage of that. I love newsletters when you're starting off for a couple of reasons. The first is because they take away all of the procrastination and the hesitancy that comes with like building a web website. Mm. I mean, that's like a big thing and it's a huge hurdle. Does it look good? My brand, my logo, is it professional enough? The copy, it needs to be perfect. It's like such a hurdle for anyone to get started. So I'm like, well, don't make a website yet. Forget it start a newsletter instead. It like literally can be just one opt-in box (laughs) with a call to action. That's all you need. I would start there. I would work on sharing your ideas publicly and then just linking people to your newsletter. That's it. Just keep it simple. It's another one of my things that I've learned over the years. Like anytime I am in my own head about what I should do, should I make this thing and how big should it be? I always just say,
0: keep it fucking simple. And you wrote about that not too long ago, how, you know, the big teams and the big glitzy can be so distracting, but also look good from the outside and not really work on the inside.
1: Yeah. I mean, I don't know if that's true for everyone, but from some of the things that I've seen, you know, I think unless you're prepared to do it well and be a leader, And lead a team which is Mm -hmm. totally cool if that's what you want to do i don't think it's really the best option for a lot of creators who are actually just trying to do what they love and do it every day Mm -hmm. that puts you in a whole other managerial role it's it's a ceo role it's a complete different beast so if that's what you want to do awesome but at the same time i think most of us are really just trying to figure out how to like do our photography and get paid a hell of a lot of money to do it Mm -hmm. from that perspective i'm like just keep it simple figure out your message, figure out the medium, open a newsletter, be consistent with it and then make sure you have something to sell on the back end because nobody ever built a business just like blogging.
0: <laughs> if you don't have a website, where does the sign up box for the newsletter live? I mean, there's so many
1: different ways to do that, but the simplest way you could ever do it is literally sign up with somebody like ConvertKit. I mm-hmm. use them, I love them. I think it's simple. Simple and easy. They have built-in landing pages right there. That's what I would do. You can connect your own URL. So you can have like Ash is awesome, you know, newsletter.com. And that's all you need right now. In fact, what blows my mind to this day is that ever since I switched on like my, you know, my social media profiles, linking directly to a convert kit landing page with just a simple opt-in versus sending people to my big website where I have 13 years of historical posts and all sorts of stuff that normally would be impressive. Uh, My conversion rates have gone through the roof, 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 roof. Not only is it a simple strategy, I think it's a more effective one.
0: I know you don't do a freebie with the Middle Finger Project or meat and hair. Do you do a freebie with any things?
1: I have experimented with many freebies over the years Mm -hmm. and sometimes I do have them, but right now where I'm keeping them is in the referral section of my newsletter. So if you then share the newsletter, yeah, you'll get a couple of freebie things there. So I'm testing out that strategy and I think it's working well. That's not to say I wouldn't put one on the front end either, but I just only so many hours in a day. I've experimented with quizzes for my Mm -hmm. other business. It's called With Love from Costa Rica for tourists and expats coming to Costa Rica where we have a house. One of the best converting things there was our quiz, which was um, which Costa Rican beach are you? Usually the first question people are asking themselves, like, well, where should I go? I know I want to go there, but where? Yeah. And I think so much of that has to depend too on, you know, the sales cycle for your business with that type of site, people are making decisions fast. They're probably coming within three months. That's the average. Mm -hmm. And so there's not really a long time for them to like be subscribed to my newsletter for six months. And then I'm going to sell you an expensive course, right? That model doesn't work there. So you have to really speed things up and just deliver what, what they need to know now. One of the best tools I've ever discovered for that is called Buzz Sumo. And you can just get in there and they have a question section and literally type in like, what are the people asking about Costa Rica? It'll tell you all the questions they're asking around Google, on forums, in Facebook groups, all over the internet. So I just reverse engineer all of my content that way and my products and everything. It's like, well, what do people need to know? There it is. Okay, well, let's build something around that.
0: Did you do that for the meat and hair writing product that I bought? Are you talking about the creative writing class? Thank you. I'm sending out a really
1: exciting 200 page guide that we just made. and really happy about because before I started it as an email course and now we've gone to the guide stage. Eventually we'll go to the course stage. I tend to do things in layers.
0: Let me just pause you right there. So the course that I took was a Saturday email. Yep. And then you're going to add to that and turn that into a guide that you buy on your website. Yep. You'll get both. So you're going to create a 200 page guide about creative writing and give people for free. Well, they already purchased the course. Okay. So if they haven't purchased it and they come to your website, what will they buy next? So right you- now today,
1: if they buy the creative writing class, they're getting the email course, which you have that mm-hmm. goes for 12 weeks, every Saturday, you mm-hmm. get a new lesson delivered to your inbox plus the 200 page guide, which is a mirror of the same material. But the reason why I do it that way is because some people really like the instant gratification. They need the information. Now they want to know mm-hmm. it now, but we also run into that problem that happens all the time where somebody signs up for, you know, a 200 page guide, they download Download it to their desktop and they never Never open it. Never never opened it.
0: I know. You
1: know, the course. So for success rates, I love to actually just send out one lesson every week over time because I feel like people actually end up doing the -hmm. course, the materials Mm -hmm. that way. And then I get great testimonials. It opens up dialogue. People reply back to me. I didn't have the guide at first. I was writing the email course as you know, people are buying it. So that's (laughs) how I, I do it. It's like first we do this in stages. (laughs)
0: <laughs> now, will you add things to the 200 page guide or is it just from those dialogues with people or clarify or add anything or will you just go, oh, it's done now we format it really pretty and yeah, that part's done. If I do anything next,
1: it will be the course version of that. Sometimes okay. people do, you know, it depends on how they like to learn, mm-hmm. but sometimes people want more of a course. They want more accountability. They want more handholding. Mm-hmm. So depending on how, you know, how my schedule is and what's going on, I may or may not add that. Do you like um, to teach? Depends on the subject matter. I love to teach things like writing, creative writing. I love it because it's tangible and we can see like a clear before and after. Mm-hmm. That's so exciting when I have students in there and we're working on something, their message, whatever, and they start off with a headline and it sucks. And then we edit it. And then all of a sudden, the confidence they get from that alone is just awesome. But when it comes to other things that aren't so tangible, like, I don't know. <laughs> I can't even give you an example. Something that would be like coaching, just regular like life coaching. I would mm-hmm. say I would be very bad at. I
0: struggle with that. What I love about this idea for you to think about applying to your work, if it's not teaching based, is that it's something that's small. This is twelve weeks, which maybe you could make it much smaller than that. And you're you're delivering it in small bits and creating it, and then really helping your people or your customers your clients get results and talk back to you and you're inviting them to talk back to you so how could you apply that to your creativity in a way that would help you create because that's the main issue right if we're not creating we're not happy we're not taking care of ourselves we're not processing our lives and in some cases we're not making money so what about this model could help you create and now ash is going to continue to talk about this in a different way
1: I mean, I do think Uh, that's really useful for someone who's just starting and they have so much pressure, especially now to like, Hey, I want to become a digital creator. And so now I need to make a $2,000 course right out of the gate. There's a lot of pressure on people to do that. And it's a bad strategy
0: for uh, many reasons. It is such a bad strategy. You don't know if your ideas work, you don't have an audience for it. There's just nothing that's tested and there's too much pressure. Yes. And it's also really expensive endeavor
1: and it's... Mm -hmm. It's intimidating for a lot of Mm -hmm. people to get on camera and do all of that and figure that out. I mean, the tech piece of that alone is awful. So I think it discourages so many great ideas from being born because they kind of have that comparisonitis of, well, if I do this, I have to do this big membership group and this big training Mm -hmm. library and all of these fancy courses. And that's not the case. So what I like to do, even someone like me who's doing it for a thousand years, like you, I start off every single time. Let's do a basic email course. I will build it now. Then when that That's done. Now I have the materials built. Okay, now I'm going to put this into a guide form. Awesome we have that. And yeah, I can break that up too. If I want to, I can sell just the email course, which is like the slower version. Or if you want the guide and the email course together, it's a little bit more expensive. Or if you want the course too, I can do that as well. But then once I've got the guide and people are responding with their ideas, do they like it? What are they getting stuck at? What's hard for them? Then I can maybe build something that's a little bit more of an intensive, comprehensive course that would typically be DIY. And then if I, if if I really get all sorts of feedback, then maybe I'll do like a cool private uh, master, mind around a certain topic, like finding your message and work with people directly. And that's kind of cool.
0: I love that. I love that because it gives everybody a map of how they can imagine developing their ideas and taking your time with it. I think that's the other thing when you're trying to take your creativity and share it what I see over and over again with the writers that I work with is I just had a coaching session with somebody today. It's all there. And she has no idea how to organize it. No idea how to, to focus it. Focus, for example, meat and hair is a great example. You know, it's for anybody who needs to write and not sound boring. Anybody (laughs) who needs to, anybody who needs to write and not sound like the damn robot that you have to click. Is there a crosswalk here? I love when they have like the two buttons on the same post and you're like,
1: wait, is this for that Way or that way? And you're like doing circles around. And meanwhile, other people are just walking.
0: One of the things that I love about that is that's both a very broad person that you're creating that course for and guide and, and whatever comes in the future, but also it's very specific. Like somebody knows exactly like I am a boring writer or I do want to make my writing more interesting. Or- yes. I mean, and that, and that
1: was for many years of, of working with people at the Middle Finger Project who, again, one of their biggest stumbling blocks was always, hey, I'm a really fun person in real life, but I sound like I'm writing a term paper. Mm -hmm. anytime I sit down to write anything. And so my personality doesn't come across. I think it's costing me sales. I think it's costing me engagement. And it really sucks because I don't know how to be myself on the page. So it was the same conversation I was having over and over again. I'm like, well, let's start a targeted site around this. And it's been so much fun. Like one of the most fun projects I've ever done because all I'm doing all day is just hunting around for really great copy that has total personality and then analyzing it. How
0: do you write so much?
1: Well, a lot of it's practice. I mean, it used to take me a lot longer to write things. I've been doing it for a very long time. If I was just starting off tomorrow, I wouldn't be able to do, you know, 50,000 different things. Part of it is my schedule that really I have to stick to. Otherwise I will be behind. And part of it is also forgiveness because I've learned over the years that if I miss a Wednesday, nobody cares. Mm-hmm. So I'm not that hard on myself about it. I try to be as consistent as I possibly can. And some days stuff comes up and that's all right. And I'll just just move on to the next thing. So it's a little combination, a little forgiveness, a little discipline, a little bit
0: of strategy mm-hmm. all mixed together. How do you manage all the different businesses? How do you keep them straight? And do you have a team for that? Create really, are you great at creating systems?
1: Yes. Asana, I live and die by. Mm-hmm. I can't do anything without it. It is my boss. <laughs> it's your boss, bitch. It really is my Asana tasks for the day are my boss. And it's way cheaper than hiring a boss, but I try really hard. If I've scheduled something for that day, I scheduled it for a reason. This is the day I'm supposed to schedule these things for. So if I see this pop of my task list today, I know I have to do that today because on Wednesday I'm going to have a whole other set of tasks. Mm-hmm. So I try right. really hard. If I'm finding that I don't have enough time for things, then I just need to, again, like realign my priorities, my responsibilities and obligations. So Asana is the number one thing. And then I do use a lot of automation in my business, 10,000%. I use Zapier all the time. Mm-hmm. I definitely have lots of sequences on ConvertKit that go out. All of my sales are automated at this point. It's rare. I mean, once in a while I do live stuff, but for like the purpose of just selling digital products, all of that is automated. It's been one of the best things I've done in my business is just taking the time to figure all that out.
0: <laughs> right there is a piece of wisdom, taking the time to figure it out. Yeah. Mean, stepping, have- sometimes you have to step away from the creation of your work to create the system so you can sell your work.
1: Yes. I also tend to work in what I'm calling seasons, which has been useful for me. Right now I'm focused on the middle finger project. I'm having a middle finger project season, but in the fall I was having a meat and hair season. So that was really where all of my extra time was going on for creating systems and getting all that set up. Now that that's set up, now I'm working on the middle finger project right now for this year. And once that's done, I'll move on to with love from Costa Rica and from there so on and so forth. So that's helpful as well. Having like the bigger organizational strategy of like, what's my main, main projects and how am I going to use my afternoon hours How am I going to keep things going during the day? Monday, Wednesday, and
0: Friday. God, I sound (laughs) anal retentive, don't I? It's weird. Who am I? (laughs) (laughs) You're organized. So how do you decide what season it is? I
1: mean, I try to just give everything, you know, when I was launching meat and hair in the fall, that needed to be the season. But right now, like, depending on where you are, like a lot of those morning emails are already automated. So sure. they're evergreen emails. A lot of the work I've already done, I try to pick businesses and things that do have classic content that doesn't actually go out of style in five minutes. So I would never really commit to something that's like tutorials on how to use ConvertKit, for example, mm-hmm. since it's changing so often. But with creative writing, that is a timeless Topic, and I will go in and I do update examples and I pull different things. But the original, like the first people, when you're first subscribing to that, it's a sequence and you're going through the first few weeks of all of that being automated. So it's, it's really helpful because people get into it and mm-hmm. then there's a sales pitch
0: and then you keep going. And So exactly. what is happening in the middle finger season right now? <laughs> what are you working on in the middle finger season?
1: <laughs> I- now I am working on exclusively building my email list. So that's my big task. I'm not in product creation mode right now for the middle finger project, but we do have the middle finger project book. So I'm working on building better systems to sell the book. And then, I mean, really, it's kind of my hub. At this point, it Mm -hmm. makes sense to bring people there. And then, hey, if you want to study creative writing with me, here's and hair, for example. It
0: used to be very, very easy to build your email list. It is not very, very easy to build your email list at all. So what are you finding actually works, whether you're someone who's seasoned or beginning?
1: Yeah. I think the biggest thing that people struggle with, with the emails is not giving a strong enough promise on what's the other side. I think you see a lot of typical like sign up for my newsletter or, Hey, let's keep in touch. Hey, get free goodies. I have seen it all, but it's not actually a compelling sales offer. So I like to look at email opt-ins as an actual sales offer, even though there's no money being exchanged, there is attention and trust being exchanged. With that in mind, I try to figure out, okay, well, what does this person want? And is my email list going to help them get that? So let's frame it correctly. So I kind of look at it almost like writing a headline. And I think that that probably is one of the biggest reasons why I've done well with emails over the years, but also being specific about what someone can expect to get. I play with it on meat and hair all the time. I love testing these. I love it, seeing what works and what doesn't. There's a company called Winter spelled with a Y, W-Y-N-T-E-R. It was founded by my friend Peep and he's just a genius when it comes to messaging. So winter allows you to basically like upload your opt-in let's say, and then a hundred strangers are going to give you feedback on what they think about it. What's preventing them from taking the next leap, that kind of a thing. So I love seeing that kind of data. Uh, It's given me a lot of, I mean, just a lot of ideas, but two of the top things are make an actual promise and be specific about what someone's going to get. Is it daily? Is it once a week? What can they hope to get from giving you their email address? It needs to be a thing. Otherwise, no one cares. I mean, no one's going to sign up to anyone's email address if you're just some random person
0: on the internet. And where do you do that though? Where do you find the people who you can make this offer to? Oh, well, you know, (laughs) marketing,
1: (laughs) marketing. I've had the most success over the years with podcasts. Mm -hmm. Podcasts are really great because, you know, you're having a conversation. I love podcasts for marketing. I don't like webinars. I don't like Instagram ads. I don't Mm -hmm. like a lot of the classic Facebook ads. I don't do them. And in fact, the Middle Finger Project has never had ads run in its life because I can't, they find, the, they find the middle finger project offensive. So I've never been able to run a paid ad if I wanted to starting in an early age with this, I had to figure out more creative ways to get in front of people Mm -hmm. And part of that was the writing and and being human, reaching out to Mm -hmm. people and being like, hey, let's have a conversation. Twitter, right? Mm -hmm. Like we just connected on Twitter Mm -hmm. like just now. Connecting with other people, your peers, and having conversations about your industry has been far more awesome for building businesses than I think just like shouting ads at people. Mm -hmm. With one exception, and that for me has been Google ads. I really do like Google ads because people are directly typing in something into the search box. So you know exactly what they're looking for. And you've just put your landing page there with mm-hmm. a great offer to opt in. I have had great success with it.
0: <laughs> I want to talk about the hot dog theory of pricing your products. Yeah, yeah. The hot dog
1: theory of money is my advice to any creator who is really like feeling anxious about charging people money It's the thing that happens to all of us, especially if you're new at it, or especially if you're charging like a little bit more money than you did. The hot dog theory of money goes like this. If you were a hot dog vendor on the Jersey shore, and literally that was your job, you're just there selling hot dogs in this like cute little like food truck, maybe that's it. And someone comes up to you and they're like, Hey, yo, what's the price of a hot dog? Mm -hmm. You're going to look at them and you're going to say $1.55, except probably not It's probably more. It's probably
0: like $8. 5 dollars <laughs>
1: Yeah, <$5. laughs> <laughs> You're going to look at them straight in the face. You're just going to tell them the price. You're not going to have. You're not going to ha. It doesn't matter because the price of the hot dog is the price of the hot dog. You trust that the business owner has priced it that way for a reason. And it does include the actual costs of the hot dog. It includes your labor. It includes service. It includes taxes, whatever. It includes all of those things. You as a worker, like you are delivering the hot dog. That's your job. You don't feel guilty about it. You don't get weird about it. You're not like, mm, well, for I could you? give you a dime, yeah for you. I could give you a <laughs> dime off
0: the bun. Would you like it without the bun? I could charge you less if you don't want the bun. No bun and no condiments. I could really give you a deal. And how weird would that be? The person would turn yeah. around and walk away because they were like, clearly,
1: they're <laughs> so desperate to sell this hot dog. I want you to go into your meetings with the same confidence that you would if you were a hot dog vendor. Hey, you know what? Yes, absolutely. I'd love to help you with that. The the price is $800 and just let it be, man. Like it's cool. The price is the price for many reasons. And you need to show up with the confidence that you have priced it this way for a reason. It includes your time, your expertise, your experience, your wisdom. Your experience. That's so Mm. hard for people. Yes. You know, I fell into a really difficult position after I wrote my book. It was really cool because am I going to regret saying this out loud? (laughs) No, I I won't. After I wrote my book, uh, it was really cool because I had editors at Penguin coming to me and being like, hey, can you also help us with this manuscript over here? Can you make it more fun to read since that's my jam, yeah, creative writer? And I had so much fun with it. I've worked on some really cool books. But in the beginning, the industry standard for that is to charge by the hour. And I was like, I I can't do that. I can't do that for a lot of reasons, but also because I didn't want to introduce animosity into the relationship between that editor and me. Because if you think about, if you're coming from a standard corporate world, like what's your hourly rate as an editor versus what mine would be if you broke it down that way? it's insulting. It's stupid. That's what happens with clients when you're pitching them an hourly rate because they're so used to working as employees. Oftentimes Mm. it sounds really ludicrous. It makes for a really bad conversation. And I think just because of using that structure alone is danger zone. Always go into it, remembering that they're coming to you for help for a reason. And it's not because you have faked your way to the top and it's not because you're an imposter and you don't know anything. They've trusted what they've seen about you online, in your IG, whatever it is they've trusted. They're here to have a conversation. So you need to trust that they know what they're doing. They want to hire you. Now you just got to take it to the finish line, baby. That's it. Mm -hmm. Don't start all the self-doubt about like, are they going to like me? They already like you. You're already in. Just take it over the finish line with the pricing
0: and you're good. So that brings up the imposter syndrome and the confidence question we started with. And and I want to ask you, what do you struggle with these days in terms of confidence? Video. Oh, I hate video.
1: I mean, I don't hate it. I just, I know it could be better. And so I have that perfectionistic mindset about video. It really is a stumbling block for me. I don't know why it always has been. I'm a writer, so right. I express myself best on the page. And I think yeah, I always have imposters in with
0: not really this kind of video, but if I were mm-hmm. to like to
1: like right. get up and start making my own YouTube channel, I would struggle with that.
0: I like to ask everybody the same last question. What do you want to learn next? I
1: want to learn how to be even better to myself this year and next year. And by better I mean I want more than ever time and freedom and creativity and I want to just keep out funding everyone. That is still my goal for all of the work that I'm doing. And somehow when you keep that at the forefront, let's have fun with this project. What else can I do that would be fun? Ooh, I have to do this project I'm not that excited about, but how can I make it fun? Life does become easier, and somehow along the way, you also end up earning a lot more money,
0: too. Thank you, Ash. That was really an informative and delightful conversation. I really I appreciate
1: it. I adore you. I adore you. Let's <laughs> go get hot dogs together. <laughs> For a
0: dollar fifty-five. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I've got so many practical takeaways from. That. I have a long list of things I'm gonna do. I'm gonna try that convert kit landing page and I'm really interested in making a much more clear offer for my fabulous newsletter and how it really provides value. That's really got my mind going. What about you? And I want to say, I know not everybody listening, you're not in the business of selling your creativity, but I just want to challenge you to think about some of these ideas and where they may have got your head going as a way to share your work, even if it doesn't involve money, as a way to grow your connection to other people through your art, because I'm a big believer that being seen is such a growth place for so many of us, especially if you identify as women, because it can feel so extra vulnerable and scary. It is the next to the last step in the why bother process in my book, why bother, discover the desire for what's next. And it's the hardest one for me, believe it or not, and most people that I work with. So there's a lot of being seen ideas here that you could interpret, convert, and make your own thoughts on that. And I'd love it if you could share this episode with somebody in your life so we can grow our creativity in the world. That would be so awesome. Or on social media. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Next week, we have a super special, different kind of conversation. Andrea Share, author of Wonder Seeker and Superhero Course and Mondo Beyondo fame. And I sit down and we interview each other. We interview each other about wonder and about why bother. And about why it's important to share your work and grow your work as a way to grow as a human. I think you'll love it. That's next week. Andrea Cher, Wonder Seeker. And in the meantime, I hope you will share this episode. Follow me on Instagram, Jen.Loudon. And most importantly, Create Out Loud. See you next week.